wherever you're joining us from, thanks for being here. Uh, if you're in Garland, uh, Dallas, Louisville, Prosper, if you're a part of a global community, if you're in uh, Boca Raton, Florida, you're hanging out with us today, we're just grateful that you're here. Uh, everybody, we're going to pray in a moment, and then um, thank you, by the way, for praying for your church family as we were headed to Israel and then got detoured to go to Cyprus and then uh, a number of other islands, Greek islands, and then um, uh, just had a great time doing that every two years as a church family. We bring the Bible alive every two years, so you want to register for that. It fills up. Usually it takes two weeks to fill it up, and so all we're going to ask you to do is to make sure that you are part of that experience and that you're doing that, um, registering for that as quickly as you can. Is that all right? Uh, you're going to get one of these. It's called the story of the Bible. That's what we call it. Everybody has to go through it. And so as a church, um, there are too many churches that are biblically illiterate, that don't know the word of God. There are too many people that are not self-feeders, which means they don't know how to take the Bible and read for themselves so that God can speak to them. And you depend on somebody else to give you their chewed up word for you to eat. And so what we're trying to do every time we do a Bible land store is we come back because on the buses, they have to learn the story of the Bible. So then the rest of our church has to learn it too. So you can get the QR code and put it last, the two, about four years ago when we did it before COVID, we gave you all one of these. We have since learned that we don't want to waste so much paper. So just download it digitally and we'll get there. It's going to be all right. So here we go. I'm going to tell you the story of the Bible, and then you're going to see how it applies to this uh, sermon series we're doing on the book of Revelation. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll prepare every heart today, every last one, so that we can hear from you. As always, make it appear as if nobody else in the room, but you having a conversation with each one of us. Remove all the distractions at home, Remove all the distractions in this place so that we can hear directly from God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Here's the story of the Bible, everybody. It starts out with creation. That's what happened. God decided after uh, Satan decided that he was going to take a third of the angels, God decided that he was going to create man a lesser being, Psalms chapter 8, and he was going to do more with a lesser being than he could do with a greater being. Afterwards, he said, I'm going to create Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve showed up, and here's all God said. Will you please, Adam and Eve, um, learn the thinking and the thoughts of God, uh, pour it into your kids so they can go somewhere and do it. That did not work, so you had the fall because a man allowed um, uh, his wife to talk to a snake. We still have that going on today. A man allowing his wife to talk to a snake. That's not the point of the sermon. Let's keep going. So then God says, I'm going to start it over. Let me start with Noah. Noah, here's all I want you to do. What I gave uh, Adam to do, which was I want you to learn the thinking and the thoughts of God. Then I want you to transfer that to your kids so they can take it, set up shop somewhere else, and they can do that with their kids as well so that the entire world will bring me glory. Didn't work. Instead, stuff got so bad that they decided that they would create a tower of Babel just like the devil did so that they could prove that they can be God. 
Then God says, okay, I'm going to start again. Let me start with this time not an individual but a nation. So now he says, hey, Abe, through you, I'm going I'm going, I'm going to make a blessing so big that everybody associated with you will be blessed. Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget this. The reason we have the atrocities we have currently in uh, the Middle East is because of this thing called the Abrahamic Covenant. You see, if you don't know the Bible, then you don't know what the Abrahamic Covenant is. And if you don't know the Bible and you don't know the Abrahamic Covenant, then all you will do is form your opinion based on what's happening in social media. But that's what happens with biblically illiterate people who don't know the Bible, so they let the world determine how they should feel about a situation. There are three covenants you should know in the Bible. But number one, the Abrahamic covenant. Number two, that's in Genesis chapter 12. Number two, the, the, um, the Davidic co covenant, which is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And then the third one is the new covenant, which is Jeremiah chapter 33. If you don't know those, no wonder you screaming and yelling and choosing sides instead of realizing what God has already set up to take place in this world. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to know something about the war going on. It's really, it's really more of a social media war than it is a physical war. And so if you're not careful and if you don't know your Bible and the story of your Bible, you will simply go with the, the, the popular thought of the day as opposed to the Word of God. So God says, I'm going to create Abraham. Here's what I'm going to do through you. It's going to be a blessing. So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So after that... Then he calls Joseph, and he says, Joseph, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to show you a vision, and then I'm going to let that vision come through. But there's a lot of people in the house that knows just because you share your vision with the wrong people, the wrong people who get jealous of your vision is going to come try to take you out. But you need to know that God always has a plan, always has a plan. And so if you find yourself in a pit today, there's good news for you, because whenever you're in a pit, it means God is up to something great. After that then happens, he calls my boy Moses and he says, hey Mo, I know you have a lot of lip and I know you love to talk, so let me use you. And so Moses says, thank you God, here we go. And so his mama thought he was going to die, so she put him in a little basin, sent him down the Nile. And so there's somebody in here who thought they have been forgotten, but God is just setting you up for something pretty crazy. You see, because God know that knew that Moses needed to go to Pharaoh's house so he can know how to lead and nation, but in order to do that, he had to put him in a little basket, send him down a Nile, sovereignly allow Pharaoh's daughter to raise him in the home, then call his own mama to come raise him there. That's because you don't serve a God that things just happen. You serve a God that's very intentional. I wish I had a witness in here today. So then God says, I'm going to give you the law. Now, the reason he gave you the law is to prove to you that you can't measure up to the law. Which therefore, don't miss this now, which is why you need to know the story of the Bible. Which therefore means you need somebody coming down the line who is going to be the epitome and fulfill the law so that you can have a relationship with the Father. The reason you have the law, then he gave us the tabernacle. The reason you have the tabernacle is because he wanted his people to know his presence. Which is why later on he's going to send the Holy Spirit. So that now you can know what it feels like to walk with God. My God today. So then, after a while, they decided that God says, okay, I need you to get out from where you are. And they go through a season of wondering. What should take two weeks took four years. 
There's some of you that are in some mess right now that you should have been out of a long time ago, but you've been in it for 10 years when it should have taken you one day to get out. Uh, I'm just telling you the story of the Bible that you should have known. So then he finally takes them to the promised land. They're now in the promised land. The land is flowing with milk and honey. So now they live in what's called the suburbs. <laughs> they used to be poor, but now they got, they got land flowing with milk and honey. They get their own territory and they get to live. But when you move to the suburbs, be careful because now you're rich. And when you're rich, you have a tendency to forget God. You have a tendency to depend on your riches and not depend on God. So then they decided after the promised land that God says, okay, you don't get it. Here's what God said. You don't know how to live by precept. So now I need to teach you how to get right by pain. So now we call some judges and say, hey, judges, um, they're going to go through, listen, listen, a cycle of seven. You're going to see that in the book of Revelations in a minute. Then there's nothing new. The number seven is going to be repeated about, 50, about 54 times in the book of Revelation. Well, guess where it is? It's all the way in Judges before you even get to the prophetic literature. So there's nothing, there's nothing spectacularly new. Don't come up with some new code that's never been there before in the book of Revelation. All you got to do is go back to the Old Testament to understand the book of Revelations. So now he says, I'm going to send these judges and they're going to help you. But then they looked and they said, we don't want judges because when we look at the rest of the world, the rest of the world have kings. We want what the rest of the world have is kings. Well, that's what the people in the suburbs do. They see that the rest of the world have Louis V and so they want Louis V too. And so they rob God in giving to go get Louis V. It's nothing new. Why is it there? Because you and I have a tendency to love what the world loves. Same thing with the people of Israel. They said, we don't want you to be our God or our king. We want a human king. God says, that's not what I want for you. They say, I know, but we want it. And we want what we want, and you better give it to us, or we're going to be grumbling the whole time. Sound like people in the suburbs, don't they? Your kid didn't do well in school, so you go grumbling to the teacher. The kids didn't do well in sports, so you grumble to the referee. Am I talking to anybody yet? Any grumblers yet? So here we go. So they said, all right, let's go. Uh, so then they, God gave him a king. He says, you get Saul, you get David, you get Solomon. All three kings. Then it was a nightmare, a family feud. So after that, you have the divided king. The kingdom's supposed to be united. Now it ain't. The kingdom is now divided. Why is it divided? Because they followed the world and didn't follow God. Why is your house a mess? Because you followed the world and you didn't follow God. Why do you have generational mess? Because you thought it would have been better to divorce her. Because the rest of the world did and ain't nothing happened. So you thought you could do it too. Some of you saying, can you go back to Cyprus, Pastor? <laughs> so then another kingdom falls first, and the fall of Samaria. And then guess what? There's a group called the Assyrians that took them away to exile. Then the southern kingdom falls, and that's Jerusalem falling. And then the Babylonians 
took him away into exile. And then we come back and you have the return from exile. After the return from exile, you have the rebuilding of the temple. And after the rebuilding of the temple, you have 400 years of silence. And then comes the one we have all been waiting for. The birth of Jesus. Now, the reason Jesus had to show up is because he had to fulfill the word. And because he wants you to have a relationship with the Father. And he had to be, since all the other lamb couldn't work, he had to be the perfect lamb that took away the sins of the earth. That's why he had to, so he didn't, he wasn't born for you. He was born to please his heavenly father. And you are the beneficiary of his obedience to the father. So don't make life about you. It's not about you. He's trying to please his heavenly father. And in doing so, you get the benefit from it. So now after that, then he has to die. After he dies, then he has to be resurrected from the dead. After he's resurrected from the dead, he has to ascend to his father because that is who he was trying to please in the first place. Then he sends his Holy Spirit down and with the Holy Spirit come Pentecost. Now everybody getting saved all over the place. Then after Pentecost comes the gospel mission. Hey man, now what I want you to do is I want you to go, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, go be witnesses where? In Jerusalem, after you pass Jerusalem, Judea, and then to everywhere including North America. Don't, don't, don't make your faith only an American faith. It's a global faith. So then after that comes the Apostle Paul, who then, listen now, who then says, I know God, the Abrahamic covenant, you made a, an agreement with Abe, and because of Abe, you know you're going to bless the nation of Israel, and because you're going to bless them, God, but you said they rejected you, and since they rejected you, you know, graft the Gentiles in, that's you and me. So when you see stuff happening in Israel, don't listen to the headlines. Go to your Bible to see where we belong in the story. So then now comes present day. So now he says, it's your turn. Acts 1 verse 8. I want you to be my witnesses. How are you being a witness for Jesus? How, how does the world know about Jesus because of your life? If your, if your name was a book in the Bible, what would it say? Would it mean, would it be like um, Jezebel? What would people be reading about your life? Would Jesus be on the throne in your life? Or would you have created your own throne for people to worship you? Huh? Then here's what's coming. Now we get to the book of Revelation. Listen, listen, come here, come here, come here. Now here's what's coming. So now the whole Bible is set up because Christians need to know that he's coming back. He came one time, but he's coming again. And because he's coming again, ladies and gentlemen, there is going to be a final judgment. No, if you're good, you don't get saved and go to heaven. Absolutely not. You got to do something with Jesus. Because there is coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess what most of you already know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then the thing that most Christians forget 
Last thing is that there's a new creation, all of which is in the book of Revelation, that the thing you should be yearning for, the thing your heart should long for, is to see him face to face, which is why the book of Revelation ends with the new creation and the new world. Well, guess what? Your heart was made to long for seeing Jesus the one who died for you face to face. That is why Christians who are not praying, listen to me, Christians who are not praying for his second coming are Christians who have made their own lives their God. Because he says, I'm coming back just like I came the first time. But he don't want you to miss him when he comes back. That's the story of the Bible. And every Christian should know this because the Hebrew Israelites know their story. The Jehovah Witnesses know their story. The Seventh-day Adventists, they know their story. The only people that don't know their story is Christians who somebody told you the story don't matter, just make sure you go to heaven. The only people that don't know their story and don't know the Bible are people who walk down the aisle and say, please God, don't burn me in hell. As if that's the only reason for becoming a Christian. The reason you became a Christian is because you're blown away by the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. Hold on, stop, 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 stop. I know that's true. Hold on. The reason he became Christian is because of that, but it's also because what you're saying to him now is not my will, but your will in my life. That's what you need to applaud for. Because you're saying to God, God, I done tried it my way. It don't work. So God, here I am today. Galatians 2 verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I don't no longer live. It is now Jesus who lives his life through me. That's what you got saved for. Not to save you from hell. That's a good benefit. But that ain't the main reason. He wants you to now let him live his life through you. Can I get a witness one family? All right, so here we go. Half of you already saying, who brought him back? Oh my God. <laughs> come on though, here we go, come on. I got too much time and y'all took up all my time worshiping God, which is appropriate, that's appropriate, that's appropriate. Come on, let's go, come on, come on. Now, I'm on this boat. Um, it's a real fancy boat too, by the way. But I'm on this boat and I'm cruising and I'm like, it's burdened me that I have to do a series on this book called Revelation. Because too many Christians don't, have a, don't understand anything about what's happening right now in Jerusalem. And I said, oh no, we're we too illiterate. We got to realize what's up. So Jerusalem, is it, everybody is fighting over Jerusalem. That's what the battle is about. Jerusalem. So how should Christians think? about this war that's happening between, listen, Israel and Hamas. How should we think about that? Let me show you. Here we go. Number one, first thing you ought to know is that all people are created in the image of God and are loved by God. Everybody is on both sides. You have Christians who are Palestinians and you have Christians who are Israelis and both sides love God. But even if you're not Christian, God still loves you and still want to have a plan for your life and still created us in his image. This is huge, which is why you can't hate anybody. So you can't, you don't, as a Christian, you don't get to do that. Why? Because your Savior, when they spat upon him, didn't hate them. He says, forgive them for they know not what they do. It was almost as if Jesus was saying, I just wish they could fully understand 
which is what Christians should be saying too. Number two, second thing. Second thing you should, be, you should believe and think through is that this whole war between Israel and Hamas, the war, is a, listen, preamble to a worldwide war that will take place in the future that is centers on Jerusalem in Israel. It's a preamble. What does that mean? It's a, it's a, it's a preview of things to come. You ain't seen nothing yet, by the way. Which is why Christians shouldn't act as if, blah, 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 what's going on? Of course you do. It started with Abraham. So it started, and because of this, it's just a preamble. If this ain't the real thing, the real thing is coming in the future. And it centers around Jerusalem. Has to be. So because of that, your job is to take courage knowing that it is going to happen in the long run when Russia is going, you'll read, if you read this through, you'll see, when Russia is going to combine with Iran and how all H-E double hockey sticks is going to break loose. Number three, come on, let's go. So there is depravity on both sides of the conflict. Let me help you out on something. This is very important to realize. When God says he's with Israel, he's with the nation of Israel. That does not mean that the government can't be corrupt. Let me say that again. When God, just, okay, you're not feeling me. Let me help you out. Let me help you out. Let me help you out. Um, um, God can have his hand of blessing on you and you still act a fool. God can say, yeah, this will happen and, and you deter it and make it take longer than it really should have. All because you're not walking in God's will. What am I trying to suggest? All I'm trying to suggest is, don't just because God's hand is on Israel don't mean that Israel can't make mistakes that are outside of God's will. Does that make sense so far, everybody? Of course we've been grafted into Israel. So of course as believers, absolutely, we should be praying for peace in the Middle East and we should be praying for Israel. But do not ever dare believe that that means they're perfect and makes no mistakes. Nobody does. Only Jesus. So here we go. Number four. Number four then says that we must pray for the salvation of, the, of, of Israelites and Palestinians. We must pray for peace in the Middle East. That's our job. That's what we're called to do. You're not called to share your opinion about, about well, here's what I saw and I believe this. You, do, you don't know what's true and what's not true. That's why what your job is to pray. By the way, I'm going to tell you something that the enemy is going to do and talk about a little later on. And the enemy is going to make you not want to pray, but want to act. You saw it in, with, with the whole movement about two years ago. The enemy, you ever hear people say, well, I'm just tired of praying. That's a very immature believer that says that. Because what you're implying is that you have more power with what you can do than besieging and begging God to do on your behalf. Don't be immature in your thinking, brothers and sisters in Christ. You have no idea that God says you keep asking and you keep begging and watch what I will do when you do. Be careful when you get, when you get all, all, all in your feelings and all impressed with yourself. Like, I'm going to do something about this. As opposed to God, in the fullness of time, do what your will is. Here we go. Next one. Number five says, here's what it says. It says, Christians have a special affection with Israel because we cannot disconnect Jesus from this place. God purposed him to be born in this specific nation. We can't disconnect yourself. That's why the Bible says we were grafted in as Gentiles. 
So that blessing, that covenant of, of Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, is a part of what we get to be, be the beneficiaries of the blessing of God. So therefore, you cannot pretend as if, well, I'm just not going, I'm going to stay over here and I'm going to let them do that, and I'm, and I'm going to ignore the fact that it's happening. you got a worldwide God, not an American God. Therefore, you got to be global in your orientation, not myopic and USA-focused only. We all right so far, family? You can get mad. It's all right. It don't bother me. Number six. In times of injustice, we must compel the church to do justice, to love, be merciful, and to walk humbly with God. Whenever you see injustices or a job, to plead with God. It's our job to be humble. You, don't must, you must not always have an opinion about everything. Sometimes you can keep your opinion and take it to God and let nobody else hear it. This, in, this idea of this, you must know what I think. Sometimes you shouldn't even think the way you're thinking. And you don't even know that you shouldn't be thinking that way. So take it to your closet and let God tell you whether or not you ought to be saying it publicly. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Number seven. You're not going to like this. As believers suffer on both sides... We should remember Christians, churches, the American church. We should remember that persecution is a part of the package. Say that with me. Persecution is a part of the package. Everybody together. Persecution is a part of the package. Everybody together. Persecution is a part of the package. Let me explain what that means. What God's saying is in this life you will face trouble. No, for you so far, um, for most of us, me and you included, uh, trouble is um, my car's going might break down. That's trouble for you. Tr trouble is relative. Trouble is um, my kid's not doing good in school. Trouble is I just lost my job. Trouble is, man, I can't believe they cussed me out. That's trouble. Let me help you out. That ain't trouble. Trouble is right now being in Palestine, in a bunker, having a church service, praising God, not knowing if the next bomb is going to drop on your head. That's trouble. What you are experiencing are minor inconveniences of your preferences. You bet. That's why you should come into church Buck wild crazy ready to praise God. Because what could have happened has not yet happened. And you ought to come in here saying, Jesus, I'm ready to cry out. You know why? Because of all that he has held back. From your life and from my life. Whatever trouble you, I've told, I've told you this a hundred times. Whatever trouble you're going in, I can tell you Seven, no, five billion people that would trade places with every American right now. They would trade all the drama you got, every piece of it. And they'd still be living a billion percent better than they currently live. Somebody ought to praise God for his blessings in their life. My God today. All right, here we go. Come on. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go, go, go. All right, so let's now jump into this book called the book of Revelation. Now, ladies and gentlemen, whenever you get to this book, you need to remember something, that behind everything physical 
and behind everything visible is always something that is spiritual and invisible. You need to remember that. Don't you ever forget it. Behind everything that you can see and behind everything that you can touch, God is always doing something under there that is invisible and spiritual. So everything that's happening right now, there's something spiritual about it. You just don't know, which is why you need to ask God for discernment to understand what he's doing in your life. Behind everything visible, everything visible and physical, there's always something, say it with me, invisible and spiritual. So the book of Revelation is simply going to be specifically designed to explain what happens before, during, and after the return of Christ. Let's pick it up and let me show you where it is in the text. Revelations chapter 1. Check out verse number 9 of chapter 1. Here's what it says. Verse 9 of the book of Revelation chapter 1 says, this is John and he's telling you where he is. Watch this now. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation, fellow partaker in the, fellow partaker in the, in other words, normalize it in your life. If it's going good for you now, praise the Lord. But remember, it can change any time and he's not mad at you. If it changes, in this life, you will face trouble. Here's what he says. John's talking. And kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus. Here's what he says. Was on the island called Patmos. Everybody, one, two, three. Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, John is exiled. He's, in, he's almost in pri- like he's in prison on this small island of Patmos, and he is getting God to download to him some things that are going to happen into the future. Let's pick it up again in verse number 8, and let's see who is this book all about. Verse number 8. Pick it up and watch it. Who's the book all about? Watch what it says. I am... And Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who, and who is to the Almighty. Who are we talking about in the book of Revelation? We're talking about Jesus. Here's what he says. Read it with me again. I am the, and the, I could preach this one verse all day long. He says, I am, which means there is not a time that he's not the Alpha and the Omega. Which means anytime you go through anything, he is still the Alpha and the Omega. Which means if it happened to you in 10 years, he's the Alpha and Omega. If it happened to you last year, he was then the Alpha and Omega. There ain't nothing that can happen to you that your God is still not the author, the beginning and the end of it all. Good God Almighty. So he says, here's what he says now. How do you know who this Alpha and Omega is? Watch this now. He says, who and who and who. In other words, there has never been a time when he was not. And there will never be a time in the future when he is not. Which means whatever you're worrying about tomorrow, he's already there. So he already knows what's going to happen. So all you have to do is trust him since he already knows. We're talking about Jesus right here. He continues. Watch what he says though. Watch this. He's going to give us the overview of the book in 119. Let's pick it up. 119. He's going to tell you what the whole book is about in chapter 1, verse 19. Therefore write these things. Watch this now. Watch this now. Watch this now. Which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. Watch what he says. Watch what he says. He says, the things 
John, which you have seen when I hung out with you. Then John, the things which are. Then John, the things I'm going to show you that are about the future. He tells you the overview of the book. So let's see the overview of the book. It's in your notes now. Watch it all the way laid out. He starts out the death and resurrection. John was there. Then he says, that's the things which were. Then he says, now, John, I want to show you what's going to happen now, which is these seven churches, the seven churches of Asia Minor that he talks about in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Here we go. Now he says, here are the churches. Come on, lay them all out. Come on, you, you think too long, whoever you are. You think too long. Here we go. The rapture and then the church age. You know, and they're like, not all day. Uh, so then, from the rapture and the church age, he says, here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to return. The tribulation is going to happen, 4 through 19. Then he says, Christ is going to rule, Revelation 20, the millennium kingdom. Then he says, the eternal state, that's when we meet him face to face again. And now you have the new heaven and the new earth, that's 21 and 22. He says, here's what he says, the whole layout of the whole book. Now listen, the book is not designed for you to try and figure out what's up in the future. The book is designed to encourage you with passion to join with the lion of the tribe of Judah against the dragon of darkness that's trying to overcome the earth. That, the book is designed to motivate you to run hard with God against the kingdom of darkness. That's what it's there for. It's not there so you can, ooh, let me find out what's going to happen in the future. That's not right there. It's there as an inspiration because God wants to show you here's what's coming and here's why you're on the winning team. So there's some numbers that are important. Number seven, the number 12, the number 10, and the number four. By the way, when you go to the book of Revelation, it, uh, it's called the prophetic literature. Well, there are other prophetic books. If you want to understand Revelation, then go to the other prophetic books so you can know what God says so that it's nothing new. It's not no unique code he's trying to create. So when you add 7 plus 10 plus 4, then you'll get something that you've never seen before. That's not what this is about. It's already, it is the most quoted New Testament book that quotes the Old Testament. Which means it's not rocket science, it's prophetic literature. Just read it as it is. It was written to the church gathered at uh, Asia Minor. And he says, oh, it's for them first and then for you guys second. So all these numbers. Number seven, it means perfection, completion, complete, and the amount of time, and then God's people. So when you see it, it's not new revelation. This is already out there. It's already in Jewish literature. It's already there. So you don't have to go figure out how to add these to figure out what's coming. You're making it into what it's not. And there's, here it is, there are four ways to look at it. When you're studying the book, you can look at it from an idealistic perspective. That's when you're trying to see it all, and you see the imagery of the book as symbolic. You can look at it as a futurist. That's when most of the prophecy has not been fulfilled yet. You can look at it as a historist, which means the revelation was fulfilled during Western Christian history, specifically after Israel became a country. This is, this is, that means 1948. That means all of, all of life so far, just, just now it starts to unfold. How arrogant. Anyways, and then as a preterist, which means everything was filled, fulfilled in the first century of the church. Four ways. You can look at them through one of those lens. The question is, what was John's original intention for this book? Turn the page over. Let's see if we can land the plane. Let me give you, the, let me give you what he's trying to do, and hopefully you can get it. Now, here it is, chapter 1, 2, and 3 is where, he, is where we're at. Here's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, um, church, 
gathered in Asia Minor, all seven of you. Some of you are living right, some of you are not living right. Um, the lampsticks, all the lamps, all of them, all seven of them. You know what they represent, ladies and gentlemen? They represent seven churches. Um, um, you, know the star, you know what the angels represent? The pastors of those seven churches. That's what it represents. And he's saying, listen, listen, this is so important. He's saying, of all of these, you know why a church should be the light? Because it's a dark world. And he wants you, one community, to be the light in this darkness gathered all around here. He wants you to be the light. And when you and I act like the world, we are acting in darkness, not in light. And he says, that's why you don't take your cues from what the world says. You take your cues from what the word of God says. That's who you're supposed to be. Now, watch it. The big challenge of the whole text is this. He says... Ladies and gentlemen, he says, um, there are two opportunities you have, John speaking to the church. You can either be faithful or you can compromise. Chapter 1, 2, 3. Church is gathered. You're either going to be faithful or you're going to compromise. Say that with me. You're either going to be faithful or you're going to, last time, you're either going to be faithful or you're going to, he says there are two ways you compromise. You can either bail on the faith or you can just morph into the culture. He says that's what most churches do. They just morph into the culture. What the culture believes, you start to believe. And now your light has been extinguished. And now you have joined the darkness. That's what he's saying. So then he says, hey, church gathered here, listen. So now he says, if you choose faithfulness, listen, don't miss it. If you choose faithfulness, then he says, oh, I got a reward for you that's incredible. And then he goes all the way, the story goes, all the way to chapter, Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And he says, here's your reward. You get to see me face to face. Then he says, if you choose compromise, here's what's coming for you. Listen, more tribulation. He says, if you think you have seen anything yet, he says, open up your eyes. Because all hell going to break loose now. That's chapter 4 all the way through chapter 20. So now the big questions, the plot lines, or the, the, the reason it becomes riveting is because now the question is, who's going to be faithful? Now the question is, who's going to make it? Now the question is, are the Christians going to do well? That's the story of Revelation. That's what makes it so beautiful. Now, lastly, and then I'm done. Now the question becomes, for you and me, will we compromise? Or will we be faithful? Let me say it another way. 80% of Christians believe what I'm about to show you. 80% of Christians believe this. Roll it out for me. 80% of Christians. They believe that God remains uninvolved in most people's lives. 80% of Christians believe that the central goal of life is to be happy. 80% of Christians believe that good people, regardless of their faith, will go to heaven when they die. 80% of Christians believe this. Let me tell you why this sets you up for pain in your future. If you believe this, God remains uninvolved in most people's lives, you believe that he's not a sovereign God. And by sovereign, I mean he's in full control, which means anything that happened to you, he allowed it or he initiated it. Everything that happens to you. You know why people leave church? Because they think, why would God ever allow that to happen to me? 
That's because they don't believe in the sovereignty of God, which means they weren't trained, which means there are, there are people that are teaching you that everything is about your life and that everything should be good for you and that everything should be wonderful for you. Your theology can only make it in America. It can't make it in any other country because the rest of the world don't have the wealth we have. So it can't make it. It can't be that everything is going to be good. That's why some of you believe that the purpose of life is to be happy. Are you kidding me? How does, the, how, does the, how does the Christians in Palestine think that the whole goal of life is for me to be happy? It can't work. So if it can't work in Africa and it can't work in Palestine, then it's not true. Then we shouldn't believe it. Then we're hurting people when we make them think that all of life is to be happy. When you believe that all of life is to be happy, here's what you just did. You made your life more important than the throne of God. You have made your throne more important than God's throne. And you have arrogantly believed that your little life that's going to be 70 years is to be worshipped. So you bow down to your kids and you bow down to your car and you bow down to your house and you bow down to your friends and you bow down to your company and you bow down to your real estate deal and you bow down, you bow down to everything else except God. The entire book of Revelation is reminding you that you ain't God. It's reminding you, how dare you get rid of these idols? How dare you think your little car or your little purse is something to be worshipped? Praise God for it stopping right there. Uh, how, how dare you? I thought, oh, God, God, don't let it go over no further. Don't let it go over no further. God, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> how, how, how dare you? How dare me? Make my life the centerpiece of the world. God created you to worship him. The purpose of your life is to give him glory, not give yourself glory. So don't let the blessings corrupt your mind to think it's about you. It's not. So therefore, the whole of life, you should say, God, thank you. That's why you run into church and you're willing to get as low as you can go because he is worthy of everything you have. You ever notice how other, you ever notice, you ever notice how other people and other cultures pray five times a day? Because it reminds them every day that it's not about them. It's about some other God. Only the ones who have the truth have the arrogance to believe. I don't need to pray five days, five times a day. I don't need to know the Bible. I don't need to know all that. I can do whatever I want. Freedom! And because of God's grace, we have abused his grace and elevated ourselves and ignored his throne. It's time for there to wake up a generation that will say, not my will, but that will be done. Hallelujah. It's time that there's a generation that will scream from the mountaintop, for me to live is Christ, and for me to die is gain. It's time for us to yell it from the mountaintop 
I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I, in the flesh, I no longer live. I have given my life over to Jesus Christ. And he now gets to live his life through me. So I don't live for happiness on my job. I don't live for happiness in my marriage. I don't live for happiness in any area of my life. I live for the glory of God. Can I get a witness? One community church. My God today. Your only assignment is to read all the way up to chapter 6 this week of Revelations, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. That's your assignment. It's time for us to put on some big boy shoes, big girl uh, sand, uh, <laughs> slippers, uh, shoes, shoes as well. <laughs> and for us to study the Word of God. We're going to be all right, I promise you. I ain't going to take it 12 weeks. I'm going to take it about six. That's all you can handle. But we're going to walk through it. And you're going to see what God has to say to you and to me. Father, thank you for a body of believers that are not afraid of walking through the Bible and seeing what you have to say. Will you prepare our hearts? Let us be self-feeders as we simply try to, to, to learn from John about the vision he saw when you spoke to him and then through him. Will you create in us soft hearts that are willing to receive your word and act accordingly. In light of what we read today, in light of what we understood today, will you give us more courage to share our faith with other people, God? This week, will you, will you give us an opportunity to tell the story of what you've done in our life? Every last person under the sun of God, give us an opportunity to open up our mouths about the goodness of God in our lives because we realize that there is a dragon and his job is to disorient people from reality and to make them believe that his way is better than God's way. Teach us to see the truth and to walk in it. Help us to be strong in truth and strong in love. Help us to stay away from being strong in truth and thin in love. Help us to be strong in theology and strong in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, will you give God a round of applause, everybody? Come on. Come on.